Let me say this one more time. Um, sometimes we almost feel like there, there are these situations, these taboo topics uh, in church, talking about sexuality, talking about tithing, uh, those kind of things. Defend, prayer defends people, you know. So, No, no, that's not true. But, but you know what? I'm, I'm telling you, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible is our authority. Amen? Everybody needs to say amen to that. Amen. Okay, so we stand under the authority of the Scripture. The Scripture guides and directs our lives. And, um, and, that's, and, the, and the Scripture says a lot about how free, righteous, sanctified, holy people live and, um, and experience all of the blessings, all of the beauty that God has for us. So this morning, like I said, we want to, um, we're going to, uh, I'm going to mention a couple things, uh, and then we're going to be watching part of a video that we watched at the XO Marriage Conference. Um, some of you, if you've already been to the XO Marriage Conference, you're going to get a, a repeat, you're going to get a reminder on a few things. But, but how many people have ever watched a television show more than one time, listened to a song more than once, amen? Okay, look, we learn by repetition, don't we? So, um, so I, really, I really want to say that this was, I thought that this couple, David and Ashley, Willis did um, a really, really great job in talking about sexuality, and they, they started off with a basis that I think that we miss sometimes. It comes from a scripture in the book of Song of Solomon in chapter 5, verse 16, <clears throat> and uh, if you haven't read the Song of Solomon lately, you need to read the Song of Solomon. If you're uh, not married 18 and under, you need to ask your parents first if you can read the book of Song of Solomon. How many parents know that this afternoon all of our kids are going to go read the book of the Song of Solomon, right? So, <laughs> but um, Song of Solomon, if Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 16, the, 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 the beloved here, the lady's saying about her, about her spouse, about her husband, she says this. It said, his, his mouth is sweet and he's altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. And she's saying this to all her, of her friends, all of the daughters of Jerusalem. He, he is my lover and he's my friend. I, I would say to anyone here today, whether you're single, whether you've uh, uh, never been married, you're divorced and, and, and not yet remarried, let me tell you that the basis for successful relationship, the base for, the base for successful marriage, the base for sexual intimacy, successful sexual intimacy in a marriage, it really is friendship. Yeah, that, that's where we can be trust. It's where we can be vulnerable. It's what the scripture paints the picture of, of successful marriage being in the very beginning of scripture in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, we read in verse 25 where it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Now, I, I realize that we're living in a culture where, where there's a lot of people that don't blush about being naked anymore, but they use it in a very perverted, a very um, ungodly, a very licentious way. But, but I'm telling you that there is a place in our relationships, in our friendships with our spouses, with our husband or our wife, where, where we can literally let down all the guards. We can be not just naked physically, but we can be naked emotionally. We can, we can have a, a trust element in our heart. We can, we can let there really be a true revelation of who we are, uh, the pains, the hurts, the wounds, the, the blemishes, um, but, um, and, and the spouse will still see beauty. There will still be acceptance in beauty. And that's really is the, that is the foundation for a successful relationship. So um, the, this, this, this scripture, in the scripture, there, there's a portrait of a healthy foundation for marriage that's, that's filled 
with the kind of relationship we're talking about. And we see a beautiful picture of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. It says, Now concerning the matter about which you wrote, it is, not, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, the letter that Paul had received was about immorality taking place in the church and uh, taking place uh, you know, in all kinds of, of different ways. Um, one place it talks about that a that a father uh, that a, a son's having relationships with a, a you know what is with his father's wife and um, not his mother but different things that are going on and so Paul's responding and says says outside of marriage sexual relationships just shouldn't be taking place he says but because of the temptation to sexual immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. And I've underlined these scriptures, and Yvette, I'd ask you to do the same. So um, it says, uh, for, the, for the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another. Amen? This is what God has given us to help build us, to help uh, build our relationship, to help grow us into the people that he wants us to be. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of a lack of control. You know what God's saying here? He says, I want every person, every married man, every married woman to have a beautiful, intimate relationship with their spouse. I, I want them to experience it. I want them to, to be fulfilled in that relationship. And, and I believe, I sincerely believe that's what God wants for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So we've laid a little bit of a foundation here. We're going to jump into the video for, with David and Ashley, um, David and Ashley Willis. So uh, let's, uh, let's just give them a hand as we jump in here this, this morning. We ready to go? So. to have a better marriage, invest in your friendship with your spouse. And here's the part we don't talk about enough. If you want to have a better sex life, invest in your friendship with your spouse. And in just kind of a very basic way, we want to illustrate what that looks like with this, this furniture on the, on the stage. Because the way that we see it, there are three main dynamics or postures that a marriage can be in. And the first is when both of you are sitting here together yes. on what we call the love seat. All right? And the love seat isn't just the physical love seat. Love seat represents where love lives. It's where you're connected together. It's where you're unified, where you're serving each other's needs. And uh, it's, it's the place where God wants your marriage to live. Exactly. Like right here, we, we, we are having total transparency and honesty and that vulnerability of having what we like to refer to as is a naked marriage, where you are naked in every way emotionally, that you're bearing all to one another and trusting each other with that knowledge of whatever it is that you're telling each other. And you're making decisions in a unified fashion, that you're, you're doing everything together. And so this is, you know, we want, as, as a marriage, God wants us to stay in this love seat. He wants us to have a love seat kind of marriage where we're doing everything together and making all of our decisions together and truly loving one another and serving one another. Yeah, and then in the, in the actual love seat, there are other things you can do too. You know, it doesn't yes. have to just happen in a bed. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot that can happen on a love seat, including yes. cuddling, all right? You know, okay. I think I'm the cuddler in the family. 
And so whenever I get close to Ashley, like, I want to just throw my leg on her. I just want to wrap her up in this cocoon of love. He does. And just, like, hold her tight. And I I have cuddle needs. You know, sometimes I'll say, like, look, I'll I'll give you all the sex you want. Just hold me. I just, I just. It's true. I just need to be held. I know, I I have needs. Just hold me and tell me it's going to be okay. In fact, out in the XO shop, there's a shirt that says Extreme Cuddler. And it was only for women, which I was deeply offended by. Because that's. Yes. That's, that's my, my love language. It's true. Okay, how many of you are, are non-cuddlers? Raise your hands high, because I'm a non-cuddler. And it's, I know you're resistant. It's okay. We can admit this. We can admit this. No, okay. God rarely puts two cuddlers <laughs> in the same marriage because they wouldn't do anything else. You'd get nothing that's done. That's true. And so... But it's not that I don't... I love, I love to cuddle with Dave in small doses, but when I go to bed... You are such a liar. Like, okay. In front of all I'm these sorry. people, <laughs> in front of God... And all these simulcasts. Like, Netflix I need, you need to repent cuddle. right now. Honesty is a big part of this. No, you, you do. You. I, I will meet those cuddle needs, right? I will try to meet his cuddle needs. But when, when I go to bed at night, and maybe for a lot of you non-cuddlers, this is kind of the same situation. When I go to bed, I just want to have some space, and I don't want to be hot, okay? Like, Dr. <laughs> Oz. Okay, yes, yes. Let's clap for that. Let's clap for some peaceful sleep, right? All you clappers need to repent. <laughs> need to repent right now. <laughs> but, you know, we want some peaceful sleep because, honestly, peaceful sleep will do wonders for your marriage, right? But it's, you know, I get so hot. And Dr. Oz himself says that you should not be hot when you sleep. And he feels like he's a filthy liar. Dr. But, you Oz, know. you are a wretched, <laughs> filthy man. It has ruined my marriage. No, I'm sure you're a very fine oh, person. Oh, goodness. No, but we, we are so, fans of the couch so, for many reasons. And so the love seat. The love seat. It's yes. where you're together. But there, there's, a set, there's another dynamic. And yes. that's where you both end up in these individual chairs, okay? These are, the, these are the me seats. This is where a marriage gets when both people are doing their own thing. It's not about ours anymore, it's about his and hers. You know, my time, my career, my hobbies, my pursuits, and you kind of start drifting apart. Like if we were accurately illustrating it, when you're in the me seat, there'd be wheels on these seats and you'd be slowly drifting further away. And you might come back together in that love seat, but it's only for practical purposes for partnership. Well, we've got to come together to do things with the kids, or maybe we come together for the physical act of sex, but then we retreat back to our own seats. And sometimes you're in the same room, but you're in completely different worlds. You're on two different phones looking at two different things, and you're just wrapped up in two different worlds. And both of you can subtly blame the other person for the reason why you're not in the love seat anymore. It's so true. And, you know, I think this is a very easy place to live in a marriage. I think so many marriages are living in the his and her seats. And, you know, they're kind of, like Dave said, they, they may go to the love seat for certain things. Maybe they, like, go and have sex, and they're in the love seat for that. But then, really, in every other way, emotionally, they're completely disconnected. And, and we're just missing out on, really, the best part of marriage. We're missing out on that beautiful connection that God wants us to have with one another. But we live in a culture that says, you know, you really can't trust anybody. You really can't, not even your spouse. You need to kind of have an exit strategy because it's not gonna work. And so we, we kind of harbor this in our hearts and it makes us miles apart and it makes us think, well, I can take care of all these things myself. You know, I might go to love seat for maybe a few things. Maybe we parent together, but I, you know, in every other way, I'm gonna stay in my seat. And there's no room. There's no room for your spouse in this seat, right? It's just you. And that's just no way to live. It's not. And then there's one other dynamic in marriage, and this one can be the most difficult and the most heartbreaking of all. And it's where one spouse is in the love seat and one spouse is in his or her own chair. There's one spouse that's saying, I'm willing to do everything I can for my marriage. God, I'm praying for my spouse. I'm praying for my marriage. I'm, I'm trying to serve them. I'm trying to do everything right. And yet I feel like I'm in this marriage alone. I might physically be sitting next to that person right now, 
but it's as if they're miles away. And that can be the most heartbreaking scenario of all. It is, because you know, you might be sitting here right now and you're wondering, well, where are we? Are we in the love seat? Are we in the his and her seats? Or is one of us in the love seat and one of us in the his and her seats? And as you think about this, if you feel like you are that spouse that's in the love seat and you're reading all the marriage books, you're, you're the one who drug your spouse to this conference, okay? I just wanna tell you, and there, and there are some of you in this room, I know, I know that that's maybe where you are, but there, there is hope for you. And we're gonna yes. kind of unpack this more in our talk today, but there is hope for you. And I'm so glad that you're here. And this is one step in the right direction. This is one step getting closer to that love seat together. And so how, how do you get back to this place in a way that helps your sex life, obviously, but enhances the intimacy in every part of your life? Because intimacy isn't just physical. It isn't just sexual. sexual. It, it connects on all levels. And the Bible gives us a roadmap for this. And so there, there are a few things specifically we're called to do. The first one, if you wanna have an absolute passionate, intimate connection with your spouse, if you want the naked marriage that we've been talking about, I think the very first thing you have to commit to is total and complete honesty. Honesty, transparency, that's a picture of nakedness. And you have to get naked emotionally. You have to get naked emotionally before you can really get fully naked physically the way God intended, or else sex is just gonna be an act. It's just gonna be mechanical when God wants you to connect on such a deeper level. And so the book of Proverbs describes this as, as a sign of true friendships. Proverbs says it this way, an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. And so what, what we've learned, you know, just through God's roadmap in the Bible for what intimacy really means is that the depth of your honesty with each other will ultimately determine the depth of your intimacy with each other. Those two things are inextricably interconnected. You can't have secrets and intimacy at the same time in a marriage. Exactly, and you know, sometimes there's things in your life that maybe, maybe happened to you before you entered the marriage that you haven't really shared with your spouse. And sometimes it's things that you did on purpose, and something, sometimes it's things that happened to you that you had, it, it was no fault of your own. And, and maybe you've hid those things from your spouse because you're embarrassed. And so we wanna share some stats with you as to what that looks like. Yeah, just, just to visualize what some of us have been through in a way that can have deep and lasting scars um, that affect the sexual aspect of our marriage right. and, and affect us deeply in other ways as well. And so both in this, in this room here at Gateway and in our simulcast locations, you can participate. If you are a woman who was born in the month of January or February, I want you to stand up real quick. A woman born in the month of January or February. All around this room. Okay, this is, yeah. this is the most heartbreaking statistic that we'll share. Uh, there's been a lot of research done on this. This is approximately one in six women in this room. One in six women, if this room holds true to the national averages, one in six women have been the victim of sexual abuse at some point in their life. You ladies can sit down. One in six women with, with, with tears in their eyes could raise their hands and say, me too. You know, someone at some point in my life used this gift of sex that God intended to be such a beautiful and safe and special thing, and it was used as a weapon against me. It was used as a weapon against my will, and what that can do to just, just wreak havoc on a person's mind. I mean, it's not just women, by the way. There have been 18 million women in the United States victims of sexual abuse. There have been three million men who at some point in their life have been victims of sexual abuse. There would right. be men in this room who would stand up as well. And those scars can be deep and long-lasting, but what we found is so often people try to deal with those scars on their own and sometimes don't even talk to their spouse about that, the pain that they're still dealing with over that. It's so true. I mean, if you feel like maybe there's a, I don't know, a wall built up between you and your spouse, you know, usually it, there is some kind of underlying issue going on. And so if you're listening to us today and you're like, you know, I never, 
I never shared that I was sexually abused with my spouse. I just encourage you to go home and really share that with your spouse. And, and, and if the spouse, if you're the spouse listening, hearing your spouse confess this to you to say this is part of my past, listen intently and then help your spouse find the counseling and the help that they need to find that healing. Because those wounds, you know, they're wounds that don't heal on their own. I mean, they need, you have to have counseling and help with this and, and have to realize that it, it was of no fault of your own. And that, and that your spouse, you know, just because someone abused you in the past, your spouse isn't going to abuse you and you can trust them. But this is a process and this is it, something that we can bring into the marriage that can really, really hurt our sex life. And, and we need to be willing to get counseling, yeah. do whatever we need to do. But anything in your marriage that you feel like, I'm gonna deal with this on my own. Right. This is part of my past. I'm gonna deal with this on my own. The moment you start thinking like that, you know where you end up? You end up in the me right. chair. Even though you're doing it to protect your spouse. You're saying, I don't wanna burden him, I don't wanna burden her with that, but what happens is you're drifting apart, you're creating walls, you're sitting down in the me chair instead of meeting together in the love seat, that safe place of connection and saying, let's work through this together. All right, share a, a few more of these stats, okay? If you're a man, if you're a man born in January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Stand up. And, and August. And August. Get on up. Yeah, <laughs> all right. This is the most devastating, uh, disappointing rather, stat that, that we'll share. Okay. And I would like to say that in this room, the stats are completely different and this isn't accurate in this room. I would like to say that. But according to Barna Research, Barna the most trusted name in Christian statistics and polling, Barna Research, their most recent in-depth study of this said that among men who claim to be Christian, claim to be Christian, 64% of men, almost two-thirds, represented by the number of men standing in this room, view pornography at least once a month. Almost two out of three. Okay, you guys can sit down. Guys, we've gotta do better. There is no greater enemy of true intimacy than pornography. And, and I'm not coming to you guys just as, as somebody judging you because this, as we shared from this stage last year, this is, this is a sin that I have struggled with in my life. I was one of the 95% of American children exposed to pornography before I turned 18. I was a teenager, saw porn. It, it, it made impressions in my mind and heart, just like wet cement that hardened over time and shaped the view, my view of sexuality and created this, this sort of secret addiction that I thought I could handle on my own. I didn't follow the biblical roadmap for, for healing or repentance or any of that. I just said, I'm gonna deal with this on my own. And then it, it bled over into our marriage. After we were married about a year, I, I, I fell back into it and now I understood what Jesus taught about lust, lusting after someone being an act of infidelity of the heart. And he's called us not only to physical monogamy, but mental monogamy. And anytime we're fantasizing about someone other than our spouse, we are, we are opening the door for pure evil into our marriage. It's gonna sabotage not only our sex life, but it's gonna sabotage our mind, our heart, and every other part of our marriage. And we. We in the church, we men who claim to be Christian, we've got to lead the way of just saying there is no place for it. And there's a growing number of women too uh, that, that are getting into pornography. Some couples watch it together. They say it's no big deal. It's entertainment. We've got to call it what it is, which is a sin. We've got to call it a sin and we've got to get it out yeah. of our lives. There's no place for it in our marriages. And if this is an issue for you, then you need to, you need to confess it. I think maybe one of the most awkward but important conversations you could have as a result of this weekend is to look your spouse in the eye and say, I, I, I've been looking at pornography. Right. And I wanna repent of that, I wanna confess to that, I wanna get accountability in place, and I wanna do whatever I, I can do to rebuild your trust 
and to get this out of our life. If it's something that you're doing together, you need to repent together to God and say, we're gonna get this out, out of our lives. It's so true, you know, I remember the day that I was in our basement and I was, I don't know, doing something on the computer and for some reason these sites came up. And I remember my first thought, because I held my husband so high, and I still, I still do, I mean, we've, we've gone through, you know, we went through all of that. But I, I just at that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, someone has broken into our house and gone to our basement and looked at porn. Why didn't I think of yes. that? I mean, that. Okay. Like, I really thought that. Like, because I, I, I just no, was I'm... so, so perplexed and like, where did these sites come from? And I mean, this couldn't be Dave, this couldn't be Dave. And then it like dawned on me. It was like God saying, Ashley, I am ripping the Band-Aid off here and this is what's going on. And it was like, Dave always says, it was like the worst thing and the best thing that happened all at once. Because y'all, I knew something was up. Like I felt the, the little bit of ceiling kind of on our relationship, especially when it came to sex, I felt like something was a little off. And it was like at that moment when I found those sites, I was like, oh, oh, this is what's going on. This is why something's a little off here. And so I did, you know, I was angry, I was hurt. It was all this mixture of feelings. And I, I did the only thing that I could do in that moment. I called him at work because I knew I didn't want to wait. I wanted to address this right away. And all I said to him on the phone was, he answered, he was like, hello. And I said, hey, sweetie, do you have anything that you need to tell me? That's all I said. Guys, if your wife ever calls you yeah. and says that to you, just start confessing to everything you've ever done. Like when I was in third grade, I saw this candy and just kind of just all of it. Just, just get it all out. Trust me. <laughs> But let me tell you, he immediately, I mean, it, it's, it's funny how these things work. He immediately was like, you, you saw what I saw on the computer. And he said, Ashley, I, I wish I had had the guts to tell you I was dealing with this, but I'm so glad you found it. And I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And we kind of went through the steps. You know, I was able to forgive Dave, which made trust possible because forgiveness and trust are two different, two different things, things, completely different things. And he took those steps necessary to get help with this habit, this nasty habit that so many men and even women struggle with. And after we went through those steps, we put a filter system on all of our devices. We still have one till this day. This was many, many years ago that we dealt with this. But you know, you take those steps together and let me tell you, I'm so glad that when we were going through that, we, we went through that in the love seat. That's right. We, went, we chose to go through that in the love seat because we would not have been able to get through it on our own. That's right. When you're going through problems, You know, any problem that you're facing is really not a his and her problem, it's our problem. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and, and that's how we have to face it because if we don't, we're just gonna drift further and further and further apart. And so if your spouse comes to you after this conference and says, I've been looking at porn or, or whatever it is they confess, please, please resist the urge to go into those his and her seats. Please lean in and deal with this in the love seat together. That's right, and, and get rid of it, because porn, porn itself, one final thing on it, what it does is it puts you back in the me seat. Yep. It makes sex all about me. It does, yeah. My needs, my desires, my gratification, it totally removes your spouse from the equation, and it puts you over here where you're like, I'm just gonna take care of my own needs, and any time that you're over in that me seat, you're, you're sabotaging your marriage. Okay, we're gonna sure. do just two, two more quick ones. We'll do these, these quicker. Okay, if you are a woman in this room, Every woman, unless your birthday is on the first day of the month. If your day, birthday is on the first day of the month, like my lovely bride born March yep. 1st. Coming up. Uh, you stay seated if you're on the first day, but every other woman, which should be 97% of women, please stand up. 97%. It's a lot. 97%. Look at all these ladies. Okay, guys, Glamour Magazine recently did a nationwide survey of hundreds of thousands of their readers, and they found that 97% of women reported at least some level of insecurity 
about their appearance or their body. Yeah, you beautiful ladies can have a seat. You got no reason to be insecure. You're looking fine. That's good. right. You're looking real good. Y'all are beautiful. That's right. He's fat. That's good. <laughs> no, you know, ladies, when, when we were going through these statistics, I looked at Dave and I was like, absolutely. I'm surprised it's not 100% because I just feel like we live in a culture where, you know, we see everybody's highlight reels on social media and on TV. We see like the best, right? We see airbrush things in magazines. And, and so then we, we look at ourselves and we think, oh my goodness, I'm less than. I'm not good enough. And, and it just really wreaks havoc on our sex life because if you're not feeling beautiful, if you're not feeling pretty, it's really hard to get in the romantic mood. And so guys, you have such power here with your wife. Yes. In some ways that you can really help her out in this, it's just calling out her beauty, not only physically, but all the other things, her heart, what's beautiful inside and out, and tell her that you are fascinated by her, that you are so glad that you married her and that she's not your old lady or your ball and chain. Like I hate those comments. You're never I, having sex again. You're not. If you're you like start not doing it, okay? Talking to her that it way. It is so bad, okay? And, and like things like, guys, if you struggle with seeing the pretty woman running past you in the neighborhood, that's gonna kill your wife's heart. That breaks her heart every time you do that. So watch where your eyes go. And guys, things like porn, like we just talked about, that breaks her heart. That makes her feel like she's not good enough. That makes her feel like she's not attractive enough. And so really, really build her up in that way. Yeah. So true, guys. And one final one for you guys. Every man, just men, every man stand up. Every man. All right. Now, these are the guys that, for all of these, we, we've, there, there's a bunch we haven't talked about. Things that can really affect your sex life. Exhaustion, depression, yeah. anxiety, financial stress. Uh, things that all of us deal with. But this represents the approximate percentage of men in this room who, despite all of that baggage and all of that exhaustion, are still really hoping to have sex tonight. Right? So... <laughs> <laughs> you guys can and sit down. And women too, women too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can sit down. They're like, woohoo, yeah. <laughs> woohoo! 100%! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So you how know, do we so how do we get to that place where our, our sex life is thriving and it's passionate because Christians should have the best sex. Yes. Married Christian people God should have the it. best sex on the yes. planet. It's God good. made it. The devil doesn't own it. We act like sex is the devil's business now. We've yeah. just given it to him. We're like, it's his thing now. The devil's never created anything. All he's ever done is pervert that which has been created. That's All right. he can do is give you a cheap imitation. But the way God intended it, it is powerful and it is passionate and it is intimate. And if married Christian people aren't having the best sex on the planet, then we're doing something wrong. Absolutely. Now, listen, there's those major things that can happen to us, like the stats we shared with you that can and affect medical our issues. Medical and, yeah, issues. Please don't feel guilty if you All you've kinds got of things. And there's hope for that happen. too. Absolutely. And, um, and we talk about that a lot in our blogs and the book they shared at the beginning. But there's also some things that we bring into the marriage, kind of our background, that affects how we view sex. And that can really affect, you know, how frequently we want to have sex and, and other things like that. And it has to do with really how we were raised and how we talked about sex in the home. And let me tell you, Dave and I came from very different backgrounds. We both thankfully have parents who still love each other, who are still married 40 plus years, and we're so thankful for that. But I grew up in a home where my parents literally, I think they had sex twice because they had me and my sister, okay? <laughs> Mom and dad, if you watch this, you know I'm teasing, okay? Um, but you know, I never heard any murmurings from the, the, the room next door, okay? What a creepy and, word. I know, sorry. I don't know why I said that, okay. Um, if your sex sound is murmuring, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Should not be any murmuring okay, happening. Okay, screams, yeah. yeah. All right, 
I never heard anything. Like, okay, and maybe they were just like really good at being quiet. But, and I never like walked in on anything and I certainly never saw them showing affection. Like it was just not, they were not affectionate people. I mean, they were good partners. They're and very I, loving. They, very they love loving each people, other. Not affectionate to, to each other. Well, and even the church you grew up in with good intentions. Yes. You know, like how she was kind of taught about sex in youth group, it was just the thing you do not speak of, yes. right? It was like, it is the thing just you do don't do it. If it. And it was always sort of talked about in sort of a, a dirty way. Now, And it was good intentions. Well, good intentions. And many of you probably can relate to this. I think it's in an effort to keep you chaste, to keep you chaste. I mean, and that's that's really from a good, a good place. But in that effort, it just, it made me kind of terrified, I'll be honest. Yeah. So and, that's kind of where I was coming and from. I grew up in an opposite environment. Yes. Mom and dad were freaks, okay? Totally freaks. I mean, they, they're the sweetest, yeah. Christian, godliest people, but they were they all over each other. It was like 50 shades of middle age. I mean, they were just, it was. they were they were all over each other. And so one of the yeah. first time, and so, which, which was gross as a kid, yeah. but it actually made me excited to be married someday. I'm telling you, one of the best gifts, gifts you can give your, your children is to gross them out to the point where it grosses them out as a kid, but then makes them excited to be married someday because they secretly want the exact that's right, same thing. That's right, that's right. And so my, my sweet mom, sweetest woman, like picture Mother Teresa, with, but fashionable, is my fashionable sweet Mother lady. Teresa. And she is so sweet, she really One is. of the first times they're meeting Ashley, and I'm just like, I just wanna be a good impression. I just really like this girl and this stuff. And so my mom, I want you to picture this, talking about different <laughs> sexual, like just how we were raised. And picture this, this she's raised in a home where it's not talked about. First meeting, restaurant, public place. They're sitting down, my mom's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you, you're so pretty. Oh my goodness, you're so pretty, you're so pretty. Let's sit down, let's sit down. And then she goes, oh, my bottom. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> and then she said, you're probably wondering why my bottom's sore. No, we're not. No. True story. I've had counseling, PTSD. Okay. She starts telling this story that I don't want to hear, but I'm, I'm fighting the gag reflex, so I can't stop her. I'm like, uh, uh. So she said, well, before we came here, I had just gotten out of the shower. Yes. And your father, she used this word, I swear she did, was tantalizing, tantalizing. me. Yes, tantalizing. What does that even mean? And then she said he was chasing me around the bathroom. Yep. Trying to spank me with my curling iron. She, true story. True story, yes, that's right. And she said, and I was trying to get him to stop. I was like, Brad, stop it, stop it. Because he didn't realize I'd had it plugged in. I was getting ready to use it. Yep. And then yep. he spanked me with it on my bare bottom. And singed. And he singed, he singed me. It. And then, so yep. I'm a little bit sore. What are you going to have for lunch? <laughs> so. <laughs> That's my life. Mom and dad, I love you guys. I They're love awesome. you, I love you, I love They're you. They're awesome. I oh, want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> Hashtag curling iron, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, oh. so how do we how do we have the kind of sex life that, that God really wants us to have? I think it, it has to start with just saying, want to meet each other's needs. I want to read this That's to right. you. The Bible gives us a roadmap 
as we yes. kind of come into the home stretch here, of, of what, it, what it means, again, to, not, to move out of that me seat when it comes to sexuality, where it's all about you, and you mean in the love seat where it's all about your spouse, and the Bible paints it this way. That's right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses three and four, it says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. It's so true. Is it basically the Bible saying, like we've talked about all week, it's about serving each other's needs. Right. It's not about saying, well, I don't need sex that much, so you should. But it's about saying, how can I serve your need? Because you're the only legitimate source on the planet where your spouse can get that need met. If your spouse is hungry, you don't have to be the one to cook them a meal. There are other places they can go for a meal. But when it comes to sex, you're the only place. They can't outsource that anywhere else. You're the only place where that need can be met. And so if you want to, to really have a sex life and a marriage, it's meeting in the love seat. I think that it comes down to this kind of one final nugget of what that looks like. One thing that you can do as husbands, one thing you can do as wives. That's right. The strongest marriages have a husband who continuously pursues his wife and a wife who continuously affirms her husband. And, and this is something where I think we're really good at doing this when we're dating and maybe when we're engaged and maybe in that first year of marriage, but then it kind of fizzles out the longer that we're married and we start losing that spark. But right here, it's biblical. You're supposed to maintain that spark, right? You're supposed to stoke the fire, keep it burning. Yeah. So guys, your wife wants to feel absolutely captivated. She wants right. to know that you find her captivating. And ladies, your husband wants to know that you find him capable. Yes. That you think he is the man. I mean, I'm telling you that the strongest marriages, couples that have the greatest sex life, have a man who continuously pursues his wife and romances his wife and adores his wife, builds her up, and a wife who continuously affirms her husband and shows her respect in him and her belief in him. And that's gonna help both be at their best. There's a, one verse we'll share kind of just for the guys about what this continuous pursuit looks like from the book of Proverbs. That's right, it says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always, and may you always be captivated by her love. And it's just beautiful, you know, it's, it's a beautiful uh, picture of how you share that passion for one another. Right. And, and, and when we do that, when we choose to really build the friendship in our marriage and really make sex a priority in our marriage, it's gonna be strong and we're gonna stay in that love seat. And you know, I just wanna say this real quick too. A lot of times we get asked questions about, well, what's okay when it comes to sex and marriage? And I wanna tell you, there's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of leeway. God, God gives us a lot of leeway there as long as we're not involving anyone outside of the two of us. It's between a husband and a wife, but there's, there's a beautiful you know, a creativity that God allows us there. Curling irons, for instance. Curling irons so. <laughs> are hot, yeah. So, you know, we, we gotta be able to embrace that and really be willing to serve one another's needs, just like with pleasure, like they talked about last night, just being willing to meet that need in your spouse and, and just being excited to have this beautiful sex life together and looking at it as a good thing. And one final thing we, we will share before we wrap up is, is for those of you that, that feel like, man, I want that, I want what you're describing, but I'm in one of those marriages where I'm in the love seat, my spouse is somewhere else, what do I do? And here's the final point, and that is that you're not alone in the love seat. Because what we didn't tell you at the beginning is that the love seat is, is God himself. The Bible says that God is love, 1 John 4, 8, and he calls us to rest in him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So even when you feel like alone in your marriage in the love seat, it's Christ himself who is holding you. And so keep, keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting, but even while you're praying, even while you're trying to pursue your spouse, even, even while you're feeling that burden of loneliness, 
rest in the arms of Jesus, knowing that he is with you in that and that you're not, you're not alone and he is going to carry, carry you through that. And so we Amen. Did you guys enjoy that? Hey, how about giving the Lord a hand for them? Anybody scarred? Anybody uh, <laughs> prayer for healing? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful for the gifts that God gives to the body of Christ, where we've got people that, um, that can communicate these deep and intimate issues, and, and, um, and you know, it, it really is. It's just a beautiful gift, and uh, of course, a lot of fun, funny stuff that takes place as well. Um, I, I know one thing they mentioned about, unfortunately, churches don't talk about this, and we don't talk about it enough, but, but we want every person, part of, I believe, God's desire and God's desire through New Covenant churches, we want every person healthy, and, and, and that means healthy spiritually, healthy physically, healthy in, in, in your relationships and in the sexual aspects of marriage. I mean, it, 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 all, it all fits together, so...